Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. So I own it all. I'm over it all. And yet I'm going to set you as a people apart so that you can be my treasured possession. Although the, the whole earth is mine, just in case you forgot. Uh, I own it all. Okay. And then he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation is what God desires for his people. And it's what he still desires for his people. And if you're new to church flow or Bible language, priests sometimes uh, can, it's a phrase or a word that can be lost on us because we associate it with the Catholic church. That's really the only filter by which we were like, okay, priest, Catholic, but, um, priest is really just the idea is for you to be a represent, a representative of God. Like when people see you, they see, they see some characteristics. They see like you're marked by that relationship with God. You're, you're set apart. You're a priest in that people should look at you and they should see the God that you serve. And so what God shows us in Exodus and we've said this in previous weeks, is that Exodus is a shadow of what's to come as Jesus followers. So in the New Testament, New Covenant with Jesus, all of Exodus, everything in the Old Testament is really just a shadow of what's to come in Christ. And so, for example, we talked one week about the Passover lamb and that Jesus is our Passover lamb. We talked about the deliverance of God's people and that Jesus is our deliverance and that uh, Jesus is our hope, he's our provision. Everything we've seen thematically in the text, Jesus is the culmination and the fulfillment of that in the New Testament. But also he's our high priest. And so Hebrews, for example, and I'm going to read a passage here in a minute, but Hebrew talks about Jesus being a high priest, that he's our intercessor. He's our intermediary. Between us and God, he stands in the gap between our imperfections, our sin, our brokenness. And that is the best news ever because uh, all the things we're unable to do in keeping the law, being good enough, all those types of things, Jesus does that makes a way for us to be in right relationship with God. Not based on merit, not based on good works, but just based on who he is. And so he's our high priest. He stands in the gap. This is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. This is for us believers, believers of Jesus. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you're a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so if you're grateful today for having received mercy, come on, if you love Jesus and you're just so grateful for the grace and the mercy God extends us, come on, let's just give him about five seconds of praise. Let's just do it. problem is, uh, if you're like me, I forget that I've received mercy. Like, I I like it, and I like to be reminded of it, but also Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? Like, also, I just forget uh, that that I've received mercy, and so I forget to act like I've received mercy. And so uh, I forget to be a person who's set apart. I forget that I'm a part of a royal priesthood. I forget, I forget to be holy. And, and so, um, what God's teaching us in this text is, and what we're going to learn in this last part of Exodus is that he wants us to be a people set apart and even what that should look like. Um, and so some of us are in that space though, where we do trust, we do believe, and yet we've got some more surrendering to do, 
right? Where uh, we got some more growing to do. You're not who you used to be, and you're not who you're going to be in Christ by God's grace. And the whole idea is to be a holy nation set apart, not by your good works or your ability, but because of what Christ has done. And so you and I have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to carry the message of Jesus in a way that we're not a liability to the message of Jesus, where this is the problem with the local church, and I'm pointing at myself as well, where we say one thing with our mouths, but we do a different thing with our lives. And so the people in our home hear that, see that. People at work see that. Friends see that. Everybody sees that and goes, mm, I'm good. And so we, we water down the message and the hope that's there uh, of the gospel by just being different than, than who it is that God's called us to be. First Thessalonians puts it this way. First Thessalonians 1.8. The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word. This is the message um, translation. Not only in the provinces, but all over the, the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You are the message. So uh, this letter written to the church in Thessalonica, they had such a reputation for the way that they carried themselves for being a people set apart that a letter is written that says, hey, your faith is impacting people, not in terms of what you say, just who you are. You are the message. How incredible would it be for us as a church? I feel like it'd be straight revival. As a matter of fact, this is our strategy for growth. This is our strategy for maturity in Christ. This is our strategy for discipleship is to help you develop to become more like Jesus. That's it. Because the more you look like Jesus in your life, and, and again, carry that message with your words, but the more you become that, the, the better it's going to hit for the people in your life, for your marriage, for your kids, for the people. Like, I'm telling you, it, that's the strategy for the New Testament church is they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They have the message. It's the, it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and, and the power of the Holy Spirit marks the New Testament church, and they become more like Jesus. Uh, but but there's a part that we have to play in this and that we're to be a people set apart. And so God's desire for us is to be a holy nation. So I want you to take, take a minute, look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a priest. Come on, do it. I say, I'm a priest. Look at your second choice, hopefully not your spouse. Say, I'm a priest, right? I'm a priest, right? Now look back at him and say, now act like it. Now act like it. Act like it. That, people are way more energized on that one. That's, people enjoy that way too much, like looking at your spouse, like act like it, jerk. I heard what you said to me this morning, you weren't very priestly. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Um, and so, that's the, but that's the hard part about following Christ. It's so, it's so easy to say a thing. It's so easy to, to just mentally assent to an idea, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, to be like, yeah, I agree with that, and even download some knowledge, right? Uh, it's a lot easier to talk about following Jesus and about becoming who God wants me to become than actually doing it. This is where the local church lives, where we want to sit around and talk about things. As a matter of fact, there's some people who are like, hey, can we go deeper? I want to go deeper talking about things. And the deeper is doing the things we're talking about. That's the deeper, right? You're never going to get deeper than that, than actually applying what God's word says. And so here's what Ian Bounds says uh, about kind of the landscape. And I love this uh, great author, uh, great leader in the church. He says, the church is looking for better methods God's looking for better men. Could be more true. Because um, I, I know I'm a giant church nerd. All I ever do is think about, talk about, go hang out with other people who just think about, talk about church. And so we go to conferences and people are talking about methodology. What database are you using? You know, like all the different dumb things. And, and it's not, not that those things don't matter. Details don't matter. We, we want to create an excellent experience. But ultimately what drives revival, ultimately what drives growth in the heart of people and, and draws people to God is 
us growing and maturing in Christ ourselves. That's it. Everybody's looking for a fix, a quick fix. There is no quick fix to revival. It is you and I laying down our lives, surrendering our lives fully, and then watching God do what only he could do in our lives. But we have to just decide, do I want it? Like, do I want to become who God wants me to become, or do I just want to talk about it? Because it's a lot easier to just talk about it than, than to actually apply it. And so God gives Moses these instructions uh, in the book of Exodus towards the back end. We've covered so far, we've covered tabernacle, right, and how the tabernacle's laid out. We talked about Sabbath. There's all these specific instructions. So first half of the book is all about salvation, all about deliverance by God's miraculous hands, signs and wonders and provision and all that kind of stuff. Hey, I'm going to rescue you. And now I'm going to redeem you. Now it's all about sanctification. This is who you're to become. And so there's all these crazy, like, uh, specific instructions around what the worship's supposed to look like and where he's going to dwell and what that relationship's going to look like and what all the rituals are attached to the relationship. And, and what I want to look at today is, uh, is what God lays out for his people in, in the priestly attire and what the priests are, who, really who the priests are, what their role are, what their role is and what their outfits are supposed to look like. This is Hebrews 4. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And so um, Jesus is this high priest, everything necessary for your salvation, everything necessary for you to become who God wants you to to become, Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. And yet he tells us in Hebrews 4, it says uh, that we can, we can hold firm to the faith. Our responsibility is to hold firm to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Part of the problem in the Old Testament and the time of Exodus, all throughout, you read your Bible, is that there's just imperf- imperfect high priests, just imperfect mediators between God and people. And so they're marked by that, their inability to kind of play this role. And Jesus comes as, as the high priest that no one else could serve in this role prior to. Why? Because he empathizes with every bit of loss, every frustration, every brokenness, every bit of pain, all temptations. He experienced that. And Jesus came, and yet he stood in our place and offers us grace in, 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 uh, and offers us forgiveness. So we have one who's been tempted in every way, it says Hebrews 4. Just as we are, yet he did not sin. Christ didn't sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, which is to say you can approach God with confidence knowing that he is true to his word, true to his promises. He will extend you grace and he will extend you mercy to become who it is that he wants you to become. Because the thought is that's too hard. I'm not going to deal with that. He's got you. He's got your mercy. He's got your grace. You're like, yeah, but I'm really jacked up in this specific area. He knows. He paid for it. Like, you have a high priest who's not unable to, to, to empathize with you because he knows exactly what he paid for. He knows your sins, past, present, and future. And so he's willing to offer you mercy and, and grace to become who it is that he wants you to become. And so um, in the book of Exodus, towards the end, uh, when he's talking about tabernacle, and he begins to kind of describe what some of these, like, you're going to encounter God. Here's all the things you need to be thinking about as you encounter God. He begins to describe the role of the priest, and he begins to describe the garments of the priest. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I think it teaches us a lot about who we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to come in our relationship with Jesus. So um, it it reminds me of uh, the, the time that you get, like, 
you get an invitation to a wedding, right? Or you get an invitation to a birthday party, or you get an invitation to some kind of gathering. And there's always that social anxiety of like, what do I wear? Right? To the point that some there's a group text happening somewhere. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? What are you wearing? You put something on, you're like, I don't like that. Right? It's just like, it's so everything the guy is old, right? You have a whole closet full of clothes. You go shopping specifically for this event. There's a lot of social anxiety and what to wear, right? And so, um, because there's just certain spaces that we go that you just can't be that guy. You know what I mean? Like, you just can't be that. You can't roll up where everybody's got some suits on, some tuxes, and you're just rocking the Crocs. And, the, you know, you just can't be that guy. You're just like, I'm just here. This is me. This is who I am. And everybody's like, we know that's who you are. That's why we didn't want to invite you, but we did. But anyway, so it's like, but you go, you go golfing, for example. There's a, social, there's a social etiquette. in Like, this is what I wear when I play golf. This is what I wear when I, uh, like, some of you are going back to school. Oh, my goodness, dude. I remember back in the day, you had to have, oh, I, my dad's here. I remember he spent a small fortune getting me ready. You know what I mean? Like the t- you had to have, I had to have Nikes brand, brand loyalty. I got Adidas on today, which is hilarious. But, uh, but I had but back in the day I had to have, just had to have the Nikes. You know what I mean? I had to have everything just, just right. Cause I want to impress people. And, and what we see in Exodus, uh, and what God's telling Moses is, Hey, I want you to clothe yourself in a specific way as you encounter me. And, um, and so I think this is who God wants us to become. Look at this in Exodus 28, 30, 36 through 38. It says, make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as a seal, holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord to it and attach it to the turban. They had these turbans on. Some of you are all like, hold up. Yeah, this is the Bible. So they had a turban on, right? And then, and then they had a plate, a gold plate that they put holy as the Lord, holy to the Lord. And, and it's going to be on Aaron's forehead, is what it says. Aaron serves as priest. And then every priest after him, the same thing. Holy is the Lord across your forehead. And the whole idea is that for you and I, uh, and really for them too, is that we need holiness over our minds. We need holiness over our minds. So, and, and here's, really I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on this first one. Because everything is really out of an overflow of this. All that you do in life, the decisions that you make, the people you spend time with, the choices, the, the activities, all the things, right? What you say about other people, all, that's a, all that is filtered through this. Like you thought about that before you said it. Or you didn't and it was just in there, but either way you let it in. And so the idea is how do I, how do I guard my mind? And uh, what am I going to allow in my mind? And, and um, 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3 talks about different types. It talks about the, talks about the, the natural man, talks about the spiritual man, talks about the carnal man. Natural man being one that doesn't have a relationship with God, just runs after the things of the world, has no context, doesn't care, doesn't feel that tension of, I know this is wrong, I shouldn't do it. There's no tension there. Just, woo, whatever I want, when I want, how I want it. Natural man. Spiritual man is being led by the Spirit. Like, I know God's leading me in this direction. I'm submitting and surrendering in this area of my life, and I'm becoming and putting on more of who Christ has called me to be. And then there's another one, the carnal man, which wrestles with that tension of, I know I know what's right, and I know who God wants me to be, but also I just, I just, I'm fleshy. You know what I mean? Like I just, I'm a little carnal, right? I just want. It's like chili con carne is just like chili with meat in it. So some of us, like our lives are that way. We're spiritual, like we want to do the things of Jesus, and also we, we, we don't. You know what I mean? Also, we're a little fleshy, and so we're leading and trying to trying to reach people in our family, in our community, at work, whatever, trying to be Christ followers. And yet, there's so much of the world in us. People can't really make a distinction between us. And, and like the, the, the claims that we make about who Jesus is and, the, and their coworkers is like, what, what's the difference between y'all? Y'all talk, the same, y'all do the same things. Y'all talk, the same, y'all go the same places. 
you're just as jacked up as they are. You just talk, you like to talk about Jesus. So, and, and so carnal mind, that's what that means in 1 Corinthians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. And so you might be like, that sounds like all of us. Because to some degree, all of us have that in us, right? Um, but we can, you know, this side of eternity, we're never going to fully arrive. And yet I can actually put off my old self and put on more of Christ. I can actually grow in the area of holiness. And we believe that. I mean, this is what it means to follow and mature in Jesus. This is what it means is to put off. Paul says, put off the old self, put on Jesus. And matter of fact, baptism, we're going to be celebrating baptisms pretty soon up in September. And, and it's just like death to an old self and being raised to newness in Christ. Now, here's what happens. As soon as that happens, people get baptized. They go to work. And it's like it's a process of looking more like you don't like magically look more like Jesus the day after you came to faith in Christ. Now you have a desire there and a hunger there for the things of God that weren't there before. But your predispositions to struggle, your context, your family, your friends, the, the, the things that you've exposed yourself to, all that stuff's still there. And so you have to decide, how do I put this? How do I put this off? How do I guard? How do I create a gate at my mouth? Create a gate at my ear, create a gate at my eyes in such a way that I guard my mind and, and I desire holiness. Jesus, he gives us this advice to his followers in the, in the New Testament. He says this in Matthew's, Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's like, hold the phone, right? It's like, like he said some really awesome things. You know what I mean? Beatitudes. Yes, Lord. Like he said some really awesome things. And then he says stuff like this and people are like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, but he, keep going. It gets better. Uh, it's better for you to lose one part of your body then for your whole body to be thrown in hell, which is a good point. It's a really good point. And then he goes on. And he's like, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Like, can I put it on ice? No, throw that thing away. And then it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, valid point, right? And, and what I like to tell all the time when I'm teaching through this passage is uh, Jesus didn't have, like, his apostles and his disciples, the people, first century church weren't walking around, all of them with one hand and one eyeball and one, you know, it's like, that's not the landscape. At least biblically, that's not said. But the idea is, is if there's an area of my life that's a temptation, if there's something within my control to remove that area of temptation, remove it. Remove it. There's things in your control, things outside of your control, and some of the things that are in your control, you're just like, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want. He's like, no, cut that hand off. Gouge the eye out. If there's a stumbling block, if there's a place that causes Christ to grieve or others to stumble, which, which is the filter. I know God doesn't want me to do this thing. I'm going to do it anyway. Those are the types of things you need to remove from your life, whatever that looks like for you. And, so, um, and it's different for every single one of us because we all have different struggles. Isn't that beautiful? Like your hand, your eye might look different than the person sitting next to you. What are the things that are keeping me from holiness? What are the things that mentally are keeping me from holiness? And so uh, you might be thinking, what does that look like? Um, it, it looks like not only taking away certain things, but it looks like replacing those things that draw us closer to Christ. So, for example, some of us, uh, if I sing, I, I'm, I'm not going to, but like, there's certain songs or certain things I remember like high school, middle school. Y'all remember how, as parents, this happens to me on a regular, you like, uh, you remember a song that you sang like in middle school or high school, like a middle school dance or whatever. And it was your jam. And then you sing it as an adult with kids and you're like, oh my gosh, that is the worst song ever. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever, has that happened to y'all? Just me. And then, uh, the same thing with movies. You like want your kids to watch these movies and you watch them with your kids. You're like, that was in there. You're like, you're like trying to, and it's, but like, that's, that's, if I, some of us, if I sang a song 
from your, from your childhood. You would just pick up, you know, every lyric to that song. Some of you have memorized entire seasons of The Office. Some of you have, like, downloaded so much information. And, again, it's not that any one thing in and of itself is bad. It's just, is this thing, is this a thing that I could do with Jesus? Like, Jesus is invited to this party is this cool? Would he rebuke me in this moment? Would he look at me and be like, what is wrong with you? Like it's, or is this something that I could do and Christ is in the room and he would be like, yeah, this is good. This is good for you. And some of you are all like, that's like nothing. I know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like the amount of content, the amount of distractions, the amount of things that you and I have to navigate in 2022 is way different than what they had to navigate. Way different than what I had to navigate in my childhood. Fam, you have the internet. Every advertiser, every marketing strategy, everything is about you seeing a thing, hearing a thing, buying a thing. All of it is trying to grab your attention, and they know what sells, and they constantly appeal to it. And it gets in you. It gets in you. So that that becomes, and even the people in your life, not even in terms of content, but some of the people in your life, some of you, they have poisoned the well when it comes to the call on your life and the promises that God has for you. So you've bought their lie. And again, they don't even know it. They're, they're, they're just as broken as the rest of us. They're, they're not trying to do it, but you've bought the lie that whoever it is that they said you are, you bought that lie rather than who God said you are. And so what is in your mind? And is it holiness? Is it who God says I am? And, and am I reminded? What, what does that filter look like? And so God's looking to anoint us and put his presence inside of us, Right? This is what God desires for us. The Bible says, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? And it's rhetorical. The answer is nothing. Nothing. And so we're supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's hard for us to make a difference if we're not different. Some of us are trying to make a difference in other people's lives, and yet you are not set apart. You might trust you. You might be really excited about the potential of trusting Jesus, and yet there's so much of your life that you haven't surrendered. You're not set apart. You're not set apart. So you're struggling. We're like, I don't know how I can make a difference in people's lives. You have to become different so that you can make a difference in the lives of others. There's some things you need freedom from. And so holiness isn't also just as a disclaimer, holiness isn't perfection. You're never going to arrive this side of eternity. Okay. Just a bit of encouragement there. We have a high priest who already has, so we don't have to. And yet he calls me into an abundant life that looks more like him and less like me, more like his agenda, less like mine. And so holiness is all about progression. It's all about being, holiness really means to just be different, just be set apart. And so if I want to make a difference in the lives of others, that's what God requires of me. And there's some areas of your life right now, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting, to tell you what those things are. And you already know. These are things I see. These are things I hear. These are things that I consistently subject myself to that I know are not godly. They're not growing me in holiness. They're not making me more like Jesus. And definitely I wouldn't invite him to that party. But these are things that I need to set down so that I can have holiness over my mind. Holy is the Lord. And so it's worth pursuing, worth progressing, and putting off old ways and stepping into righteousness and impacting others in a great way than if we just stay the same and just operate. Part of your frustration with the Christian life is you're doing the same things you were doing 20 years ago. It doesn't work that way. It only, it, he only offers you more. He only offers you to hand over more, submit your life more, surrender fully more, and then he'll make you more like himself. And, and it's not easy. It's simple. But, but this is what he wants for us, holiness over our heads. I keep reading. This is the next one. This is Exodus 28, 15 through 21. So after, after this, this hat and after the, whole, the plate, where it says, holy is the Lord. He says this, fashion a breastplate for making decisions. It's the work of skillful 
skilled hands. Make it the, the ephod, the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen. Uh, it's to be square. And a span longer than a span, uh, span long and a span wide, about nine inches, and folded double. And then mount four rows of precious stones on it. There's to be 12 stones. I'm going to skip ahead. 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. So there's a little plate that they would put on. They had the hat, holy is the Lord. Now they have a plate, and they have 12 stones in this gold plate, each of the stones representing a son of Jacob, uh, a nation the tribe of Israel. And so all of these relations, basically the priests would operate out of a place of legacy. This is who we are. In case we forget, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is who we are. This is a place of legacy. Basically they had good names written over their heart. A, a reminder of operating out of a place of, man, these are, these, are, these are the relationships, this is our family. But a lot of us are trying to minister to others, trying to make an impact on other people, and yet we have a lot of relational baggage in our own lives. Right, We have scars, wounds, people we're in conflict with, and then those names are written on our hearts. And it's, it's just hard. It's just really hard to help other people relationally if we're struggling ourselves. And I know this. There's been seasons of my life where I'm just struggling relationally, and it's hard for me to help other people where I'm, where I'm wounded myself. And so, um, so many of us were tolerating many relationships instead of valuing those relationships. So you're tolerating the marriage that you're in instead of valuing your spouse. Serving your spouse, loving your spouse, laying your life down for your spouse. Like we're tolerating one another. You're tolerating people at work. You're tolerating certain friends or extended family or whatever. Instead of going, how can I, how can I mend whatever needs to be mended? How can, I, how can I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven? How can I find some healing in this area of my life? This is what God desires for us. And so, so many of us, we, we operate out of a place of passivity. We think if we don't, if we don't address what needs to be addressed, then it'll just go away. And then nine years later, you're like the most bitter person ever, right? And it's like, it's like, no, address things with biblical conflict in a way that's healthy. How can I address in truth and love and just say, hey, this is my experience. This is, and this may have been incorrect on my part, but this is my experience. This is what I feel in this moment about what's happening to me, about what was said or what was done, or, or you fill in the blank. And then you have, a meaning, you have a conversation. Sometimes you realize that they've been sitting around thinking about the same thing. No one's saying anything. No one's saying anything. Someone say something. Someone begin to, that process of healing. And here's what's important. Uh, forgiveness is a part of that equation as well. And so we have to navigate it biblically. Say what needs to be said in a loving way, truth and love, and encourage one another. This is Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whom you were sealed by the day of redemption. Get rid of all of, get rid of what? Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And get this, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. Few things affect the anointing in our lives more than the, what we feel about other people around us. This is the reason why it's the breastplate of decision-making is because all of your decisions are, are through the relationships in your life. You want to look about the decisions that you're making, your marriage affects it, your kids affect it, your, uh, your friends, your family. Like the relationships are really what drive the decisions you make. How can I be in a place relationally really healthy? So that my heart's in a great place and I'm making the decisions that God wants me to make. 
is one of the main points Jesus makes in giving his disciples the Lord's Prayer. So he, he teaches, they, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We've seen the way that you pray. You pray different than, than the Pharisees, than others. And, and you're just talking to a heavenly father. What does that look like? And he begins to teach them prayer. And then the one section of the prayer that he gives commentary to is forgiveness. He could have talked about anything at this moment, but he's like, I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness. Why? Because he is our high priest. And he knows what he paid for. And he knows you need forgiveness. And he knows you need to extend forgiveness because he knows they need forgiveness. And so he says, you have to grow in this area. We, we, we got to heal in our relationships. And so we need to work on our relationships. And they affect our decisions. Um, holiness over our minds. Healthy relationships over our hearts. And then he goes on in, in, in verses 20, 42 through 43. Make a, a linen undergarment as a covering for the body. Reach from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of the meeting or approach the altar. Minister in the holy place. And he, God is so specific in his like, this is what holy people are supposed to wear. He's talking about underwear at this point is what he's talking about. He's like, hey, you boys got to wear some underwear too. This is what it's going to look like. He makes them out of linen which is this breathable material, and the idea is to, hey, create, create something, one, for modesty, but two, also create something that's breathable, create something that doesn't, you don't perspire, create something that doesn't overwork you. Uh, Ezekiel forty four eighteen. don't wear something that causes you to perspire. There you go, that's a word from the Lord, right? And anybody knows uh, you, want, you want breathable undergarments, right? Amen. So uh, don't wear something that's overworking you, that makes you run at a pace that you can't sustain, that wears you out, that causes you to sweat all the time. Here's what he's getting at. This is the undergarment of rest. And we hit this last week, we were talking about Sabbath. But this undergarment of rest is this place that God desires you to be, to have this rhythm of rest. We talked about taking, hey, you're working six days, you're taking a seventh day solely dedicated to just rest and recouping. And, but you also need just a more sustainable pace just week to week, if we're being real. How many of you, just be real honest right now, you're tired? Yeah, we, we need it. And so we're distracted. Like holiness is an issue because we're so distracted. It's not even that you don't desire it. You would say out loud, I do desire holiness. I do want to become more of who God wants me to become. And yet I subject myself all the time to things that aren't helpful. I don't gouge the eye out. I don't cut the hand off. I don't create margin. I don't do the things necessary in order to become who God wants me to become. You need rest as well. Create a weekly pace that's sustainable. And then this is the area that most of us have homework to do. Trim fat. Make a, and I hit this last week, but it's worth saying again. You need to make a list of what you value, of your priorities, the things in your life that if you said these things are super important to me and these things need to happen weekly for me, what those things are, write those things down. And then build your calendar around those things. Not just saying yes to whatever somebody asks you to do. Like one of the most biblical things you could do and most helpful things for your soul is just to say No. Sometimes, like somebody asks you to be like, no, nah, I can't. I really can't. I've already spent my time. I've already created time here for the things that, that I need to spend time on. And so um, trim fat. Focus on the essentials. I would say focus really on the essentials in this season. For us as a church, this is kind of, this is kind of what we're asking everybody to do as well as a church. And I had a guy a few years ago, he came and he experienced somebody who I trust and I love and who's, who was involved in church world. He came and experienced our church, and, and he, he was here for a few weeks, and he said, hey, he's like, I love your church. He said, it's so simple. And I was like, 
I like bowed up at him. I was like, you're simple. Like, you know, I was like, and he, he was like, no, no. He said, it's, it's great. He said, you, you just like, you've, I mean, it looks like new, new Testament it looks like new covenant church, but you have large gatherings and you have the house to house. You have, you're, you're breaking bread. You're doing the group thing. And you, you really create a vehicle for people to talk about discovering uh, their purpose in life, which is ultimately what everybody's after. God, what did you create me for? Help me to do the thing that you gifted me to do, that you've called me to do, that you've purposed me for, ultimately so that I can join something bigger than myself, I can make a difference in the lives of people, which is what we're doing over and over again. Sundays are, are a thing, right? <laughs> Increasingly more so. Sundays are a thing. And then groups is a thing. We want you guys to listen. Some of us come, we hide behind a cup of coffee. Nobody knows your name. That does not last, I promise you. You need to be known. You need to be fully known, fully loved. Uh, and, and, and have people walk through hard things in your life. And all the things we're talking about in becoming who God wants us to become, there's no one in here who's perfect. Don't let it catch you off guard when someone says something to you about this is an area of my life that I struggle in. Listen, you struggle in certain things so that God can redeem you in those areas so that he can leverage that story of redemption so that you can serve other people who struggle in those things. And ultimately, we all become who Christ called us to become. So rest is a big part of it, Right? I need to find the rhythm. I need to simplify my life. I need to look at my calendar. I need to build rest. And there's an undergarment of rest. Jesus says, hey, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Please depend on me in ways that you're currently not depending on me. Holiness over our minds. Healthy relationships over our heart. The undergarment of rest. And then look at the next one. Uh, this is verses 35, 31 through 35. Make the robe of the effort entirely of blue cloth with an opening for the head in its center. So think like, uh, think like poncho vibes, like Clint Eastwood, right? You got a hole and, and, and my man's wearing, you know, like Clint Eastwood, except longer, right? And so uh, there shall be a woven edge like a collar around its opening, which I love. It's so great. God's like, look, y'all are bad at hemming things, okay? Let me just like, like if you don't hem it, okay? Like it's not going, anyway, so he's like, put, put, put the edge around it so that it won't tear. I love it. Make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die, which is always what God. So if you read this passage of scripture after every one that he's talking about, hey, the priest has to put this on afterwards, he's always like, so that they will not die. Every single time is so great. But, he, but, the, but the bells, the golden bells, um, there was an extra biblical writer, Josephus, that tells us that there was 72 gold bells around the hem of the, the, the ephod, this, this outer cloak that they were wearing. And uh, so the idea is that they just jingle. Like, they're literally just jingling around. Everybody, they, they jingle coming in and they jingle going out. And it's just like something is just like, I don't know. I mean, like, it hits, like, at Christmas time, if I hear bells, it just, I'm just like, let's go. I'm so excited. Like, I'm, re I'm ready to listen to Christmas. Like, and so it's just something in you just, and the idea is, is uh, to, to just bring, a bring us to a place of joy, bring us to a, a place of praise. And the whole, the whole garment is really the garment of praise. The sound of the bells will be heard when we enter in the holy place. And when we come out, when we enter in and when we come out, one of the values that we should have as followers of Jesus is this, uh, the garment of praise for the spirit, spirit of heaviness is, is that God wants us to put on joy. One, one of the things we say at Soma is that we choose joy because joy is not a feeling or an emotive. Dear Jesus, it ain't a feeling. Hear me. Joy is not a feeling. 
I don't feel like it. Cool. Joy is not a feeling, right? So you can have, you can have joy and be writing a letter to an early church uh, and, and, and be in prison and have joy while you're doing it. You can, you can endure shame and suffering and pain and death for the joy that's set before you. You can endure even the cross. And so, like, the joy is not a feeling. It's a choice that we make. to put. I'm going to put on joy. I'm, I'm going to put it on. I'm, and the way that we do it, and he tells us, we put on praise. One of the reasons why we start with praise, one of the reasons why we end with praise is because it's a choice. And I come in, and I'm, I, all of a sudden I'm singing a song, like, about how awesome God is or what he's done in my life. And I was, like, not feeling it this morning. I was not having a good morning. And I, like, needed a cup of coffee, and I'm just struggling. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, God is good. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he's, oh, yeah, the cross, <laughs> bro. Oh, yeah, resurrection. Like, all of a sudden I'm there in a way that I wasn't before. Praise shifts some things because praise is all about thanksgiving. And you can't, it's, it's hard to be ungrateful and just be taking inventory of all the amazing things that God's done in your life at the same time. So just make a list of what he's done. Make a list of all. If you're struggling with a relationship, make a list of all the things that you're grateful for that person. And then it'll just bring some joy in that relationship. It'll bring joy in every area of your life. Gratitude is the key ingredient for joy. So if I need to grow in my joy, and listen, a lot of us need to grow in our joy. Like, I know, but it's probably like, I mean, if we're being real right now, there's only just a handful of people that we know in our lives that are just marked by joy. You know, those people that walk in, they're just like, yeah, let's go. Like, there's like only three of them in my life right now. You know, it's like we got, we got to grow in this area of, hey, praise, thanksgiving, gratitude. I want to be marked by joy. But why? Because ultimately, I want, I want to be the message. I want people to see me and go. I want what he's having. Like, I'm all about, like, what, what, is, what is going on in your life? I want to be. So holiness over our minds, healthy relationships over our hearts, this undergarment of rest, this outer garment of praise and thanksgiving, this outer garment of joy. And then go, go on to Exodus 29, 1, and then 5 and 7. This is what you're to do to consecrate them, the priests. So God's telling Moses, do this. After they're dressed, everything's done. This is the topper. Uh, Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic and the robe of the ephod and the ephod itself and the breastplate, the breastpiece, and then fasten the ephod on him by skillfully woven waistband. Put this waistband around and put the turban on his head. Again, it says, holy is the Lord at the top. Then take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. After everything's said and done, that's awesome. You look cute. Anoint him with oil. And, and, and here's, here's what that is. It's the oil of unity. Oil of unity. And sometimes I say things that I know it sounds like he's just making junk up. But this is Psalm, 30, well, Psalm 133, 1 through 3. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Some of us know this verse, but we, we end there. Keep reading. It's like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's, as this, it's, it's like the dew of, of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore, in the anointing wall. And it's, it's unity. And I think uh, if you take inventory of every great move in the local church, listen, at the end of the day, like every life changed every relationship restored, every person who's energized by their faith in the church and all that, it's ultimately Jesus. It's just Jesus. 
How do we find unity? Like a big part of our vision as a church is just uncommon unity. How do we get there? Jesus. We just stayed centered and focused on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and its implications for our life, which is why we can share a room like this, and some of you guys have nothing else in common other than a shared faith in Jesus. You don't hobby the same. Some of y'all love it's it, we're heading into deer season. Come on, somebody. We're heading into hunting season. Some of y'all are ready to pre, y'all ready to shot me down right now. But like we're headed into yeah, scary. And we're headed into hunting season. And, and some of y'all are really energized by that. Some of y'all love sports. Some of y'all are like, no, I'm good with all that. I don't know anything about the sports balls. Hand me a book. I want to read something. Right? I want to download some information. Uh, you know, hit me with a New York Times article or something. You know, like all of your passions and your like the way that you're wired, your context, your predisposition. Some of you have money. Some of you have none. Some of you are this race. Some of you are a different race. Some of you have like the, the craziest testimony of what God's done in your life. Just beautiful. Like this is how broken and how jacked up my life was. And some of you have churched your entire life. And you're like, I, my testimony is kind of lame, right? Except the gospel is the same. Jesus is the same. And you're a sinner. You need him just like the person over here. So the thing that brings uncommon unity and the thing that, that forces us to step into unity, that, that removes all the things that pull at us, and because and, there's certain things that, that just make us click out. Economy is one. Race is one. Politics, and I'm not talking about how you vote. I'm talking about the way that you even think, your worldview and the way that you think about the people around you. All those things make us tribalize. It's the high school lunch cafeteria, nerds and jocks and bands. It's like, this is what we do, but we do it as adults if we're being real. But then Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm going to humble every bit of that. And my, my church looks diverse. My heaven looks beautiful. And, it, and, and it, it's not bound by language or geography or politics or any of that bull. I own it all. And what he desires for us is a united people. And, and he gives the vision and he gives the mission and it's never going to change. What we're doing today, by God's grace, if you come back in 10 years, the message is not going to change. Jesus is not going to change. Methodologies can, methodologies can change. The venue may change. Attire may change. That chair may change. Jesus doesn't change. His message doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. And by God's grace, you and I change. And we get to look more like him, but the only way we do that is if we actually are bold enough to go, I have some areas of my life that I need to surrender. I need to put off the old self, and I need to put on holiness. God, there's some brokenness in my relationships, and I need healthier relationships. Help me navigate that. I can't move forward and be effective as a witness because my life, like the relationships in my life, they're just areas of unforgiveness and areas of just things that I got that have to heal. There's, there's areas of my life that just, I don't have rest. It does not feel easy. It does not feel light. It feels stressful. It feels anxious. It feels like worry. It feels like fear. And then I'm not marked by joy. At any given time, people don't look at me and go, they're full of joy. And so God, give me over to gratitude. Give me over to praise. And then give me over to this uncommon unity that is only found in the person of Christ. Listen, hear me. It is not about our local expression of what we're doing. Jesus owns all of the big C church. He owns Soma and every other church that claims Christ on the corner, every single one of them. And anytime we mission drift to a place that we think it's about us versus them, like every life changed in what the local church is doing. You need to hear me. Like I'm all about, I'm all about what God's doing in the big C church. I'm so excited for what he's doing here locally is great, but he owns every bit of it. He owns every bit of it. 
and 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 he'll still own it 20 years from now he'll still own like he owns every bit of it every single church that claims him as lord he's in charge of what's taking place the growth the life change any of that kind of stuff he owns all of it and so just willingly go i want to be a part of what jesus is doing what does that look like strategically for us as a church it looks like we're going to stay focused on knowing god we want as many people we're getting ready to start a series next week it's called good news and um you know how sometimes you'll 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 hear certain people share their faith or hear certain people share the message and the hope of Jesus, but it doesn't really sound like good news. Except when you read the, the gospel and you read the New Testament, it's like it only always sounds like good news. And so, so it's, it's going to be a good news message for people who are far from God. We do this twice a year. We do it in the spring and in the fall. We always have people come who encounter the message and the hope of Christ, and then their lives are changed and transformed for the next couple months. Good news. And so Sundays, know God is a big part of that. Finding freedom. Some of you, you, you need people in your life who are further along than you in their relationship with Jesus and people who you can pour into that you're further along than in, in your relationship with Jesus. And, 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 and groups is really the vehicle that we have in order to be able to do that. You are already grouping. You already do it. Some of you are already doing it with people who are here. Like the people you hang with are like four or five other people who already come here. And it's just like, Make it a group. Put purpose on it. Build some consistency, some prayer life, and, and walk alongside of one another in your relationship with Christ. Uh, and, and then ultimately, figure out what it is that God created you for and do more of that. Lean in. Pour into that. Um, and then and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Again, not, not for a brand, not for a logo, not for a name, not for anything other than Jesus has called you to do it, to, to, grow, to grow his kingdom and to grow his church. It's what he died for. So, the oil of unity. So that's, that's my heart. That's, that's, that's what I see and that's what I want. I know God wants for us is he wants holiness over our minds. Let's start there. If you don't focus on anything else I said today, right here. There's things inside of your control. You can guard your ear. You can guard your eyes. You can guard yourself from unnecessary temptations. Get rid of things that are distractions from the call that God has on your life. Because it's a great call and you settle all the time. I do too. Holiness over our minds. Great relationships. What are the areas of our life that we just struggle relationally? And then let's deal with it. Don't go another decade not dealing with it. Deal with it. Rest. You need it. Sabbath. Joy. You need it. Gratitude. Make a list. Unity. You need it. Ask God to give you what only he can give you, which is a vision of a resurrected Jesus. The moment of your salvation is the same as what you needed for sanctification. Just be reminded that he has extended you mercy. You have received mercy. So be light. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your word, God, that it just works us over in the best way possible. God, thank you that you are our high priest, that everything that we see in Exodus is a shadow of what's to come in you. And those of us who are New Testament believers, God, those of us who claim the resurrection of Jesus, those of us who have trusted and surrendered our lives to you, help us not just to settle for a future hope of eternity, but also just for the abundant life that you want for us now. God, help us to put off our old self, put on Christ, be a people set apart so that we can make an impact on those who are around us. God, we're supposed to be salt and light. Give us more. Refine us. Do your work by your word and by your spirit. Holy Spirit, in this moment, I pray that as, as we just 
through plenty of scripture at people, God, and we just talk to people about your word, that you would lift the head of every single person in this room spiritually, help them to see Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and what that means for them, what that means for their marriage, what that means for their household and their kids, God, what that means for their workplace, what that means for every place that they have, a span of care, an impact, a touch. God, you desire us to be a holy nation. You desire us to be a priesthood of the believers. Not just the people who carry a great message in speech, but the people who are the message. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus with your life, you've never really fully surrendered, you've been playing games, you've kind of done the church thing or been religious about it, you've heard about it, but his, the moment of salvation is the moment you finally realize who Jesus is in relationship to you and you go all in, you fully surrender your life to him. You lay it down, you go all in. The Bible talks about it is our faith, it's our belief in what he's done for us. And, and when we confess him as Lord, this is this thing that seals it. Our faith and our belief and then confession is what it gives us over to this future hope and eternity, this salvation. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to go all in and surrender your life to him today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. Prayer doesn't save you, Jesus did. But it does give you an opportunity to confess him as Lord. So right where you sit with all heads bowed and eyes closed and th- just, just right where you sit, just confess him as Lord by raising your hand and just say, I surrender my life today. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to go all in. We know that all the time, man, God stirs in people. I want to give people an opportunity every single week when we gather to know God, step into a relationship with him. We have a God who loves you, who's for you, desires a relationship. Not for you to do religious things, but for you to know him and be moved by that. So right where you're at, just surrender your life to him. Is anybody just raise your hand in the room? That's me. And say, right where you're at, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I'm sorry that I made it about myself. I'm sorry that um, I've missed the mark in so many areas of my life. But, but God, I don't want to leave it there. I want to repent and I want to turn and go back to what, what I know you want for my life. So help me to become who it is you want me to become. And, and, and I see you, your death and your resurrection and what that means for my eternity. I want heaven. I want a future with you, but also I, I want now with you. And I want to come alive and I want to be marked by joy, be marked by rest, be marked by holiness. Every relationship in my life reflect my relationship with you. God, give me over to unity on a shared vision and a purpose and a call. Lord, we love you. We're grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.